We do have more fun. We allow um, life to not get us down. Just show up for the practice and then stay curious as you're practicing. Revealing of the parts of you that are concealing our true nature. I was actually existing from like the neck up in my life. To live life and not just present yourself in life. Hello and welcome to the Integral Yoga Podcast. I'm so happy to be joined today by Tracy Sahaja Bonner. A little bit about Tracy. She is the founder and director of Holy Cow Yoga Center. She began her practice more than 27 years ago and is a certified advanced integral yoga teacher. Having studied in India and the U.S., Tracy Sahaja continues to draw from a variety of great teachers in the West. She also feels that yoga is about having fun with the journey, so she enjoys bringing her lighthearted teaching style to all that she does. So, Sahaja, thank you so much for joining us today. Ah, uh, you're so welcome. It's a, it's an honor actually, and um, excited to have a nice conversation with you, Avi. Yeah, me too. I know you've been connected with Integral Yoga for some time, coming to the Ashrama Yogaville and. And all of that. Yeah, I remember seeing you a couple of years ago and and definitely your lightheartedness, you know, stands out to me as as one of the things I remember the most, which I feel is is so is so important. Um, actually, maybe I'll start there just by asking you about that. Like why prioritize, you know, lightheartedness and also why sometimes does the world of yoga maybe feel a little bit heavy and we miss that kind of the joyful, lighthearted aspect? Yeah, I think Gurudev says it best when he says, you know, yoga should be about uh, having fun, you know, uh, that life should be about having fun. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be uh, stoic in our practice, although there's a certain amount of discipline. But at the same time, I think we have uh, when we bring some sense of lightheartedness to our actual practice or our life that we do have more fun. We allow um, life to not get us down. And that doesn't mean that we can't have days where the world feels very oppressive. But I, in my opinion, uh, I think the teachings of Gurudev, he showed us how to have fun, uh, that, that life was, and our practice could be, um, I don't know, just open. Uh, and, and when I remember sitting in the audience when Gurudev was in the body, was that he always tried to make things funny or lighthearted in himself. So that was his endearing quality. And I think because I grew up, and I'm, I mean no offense by this, but it may be the wrong side of the tracks. My language was very salty. And so I think that salty language allowed me to, you know, not be so stoic or so caught up in the righteousness of even the practice of yoga. And so that lightheartedness, I think, just it, it's not that it comes natural to me, but I just feel like I am like that by my nature, uh, kind of try to have a good time and laugh in yoga and not be so serious about it. So when you compare that to what's happening in the world, I, I think there's an opportunity for us to, to live that example of Gurudev, you know, to have fun with the practice, to be open in the practice. 
the rigidity makes us feel like we start judging uh, not only the practice itself, but the other people that are doing it. It reminds me of when I was going to church when I was young, that for some reason, it always felt like that judgment made things very stern and and hard. You know, when you look around, you're like, well, that's not how you're supposed to do bow pose. And that's not the right sequence. And, you know, that's not the way. And it just feels like when you're approaching the practice of yoga in that way, it has the potential to become very hard. And then you lose the lightheartedness of what Gurudev was sharing, that it was supposed to be fun on some level. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think about um people that that maybe don't practice yoga right and and i speak to them sometimes and 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 they say you know i'm not good at it you know i'm not flexible you know but i really think that what's behind there is the the fear of being judged right mm. and why like that saddens me a little bit is because for me yoga is my sanctuary from that type of judgment you know like having played sports and different activities like okay like when i got to yoga it was like it's not about that at all like this is about something that's more important than how good you are at it um so just like i'm always like wondering like how can we in a way like um demystify that you know or like let people know that that yoga is is more of this welcoming environment right exactly well i, I agree uh, that Many people come in uh, to the practice and they're like, uh, you know, I can't even touch my toes. And I think to myself, oh, my goodness. Well, uh, it's not about flexibility or it's not about what you look like externally. Uh, It's about having a relationship with your body. And I think that when we think, oh, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, the deepest relationship you're going to ever have is with yourself, you know, or, and, or your body. And so if you're hard on your body, like thinking of it as, Oh, I have to perform this pose just right. Or I feel I don't do it right. Well, then that adds to the rigidity of thinking that you have to be flexible or bendy or even spiritual, like, Oh, I have to be, you know, going through the OM or I have to, put on some kind of facade. And I think in many ways, uh, I feel like that there's a potential when we're teaching yoga or sharing yoga, that it doesn't need to be about that. It needs to be about listening within yourself, inside your body. And then that makes the rightness of what you're doing very individualized. Don't you think? Absolutely. Um, right. But I see too, the, that how those two things kind of rub up against each other in the world of, of yoga. I mean, I'm very much a proponent of, of feeling what is right in the body. And I always say before, you know, I teach that this is your time, you know, to Mm. allow people to do what feels right to them. You know, as long as they're not disturbing anyone else, that's, that's okay with me, but I don't think that that's always the case. And I do feel that even within a yoga class, it's, you know, there often is that, um, that feeling of like, okay, there is a right and a wrong way to do that. Um, so I just wonder about maybe if it can shift a little bit or I don't know, I don't really know what the answer is. Yeah. Well, maybe there's not an answer. Maybe there's an evolution, Mm. right? We're, we're, we're evolving the practice of yoga. And I think that there's an adage that says if you, anything remains stagnant, 
you know, it doesn't move, then it dies and it decays. So in many ways, we need to keep evolving the practice or uh, especially in the West here. I think uh, what came over from India uh, had levels of discipline and rightness about it. And I felt like maybe we in the West began to adopt a rigidity, thinking that in order for us to be spiritually evolved or yogic, that we needed to follow these very strict disciplines. And while discipline is a big part of the regularity of our practice, it doesn't need to be, uh, the poses themselves don't need to be in that same rigidity. And we're seeing that we try to work our way out of paper bags a lot. In different traditions, you can see that they're butting up against the rigidity and they're saying, can we hold on to some of the uh, properties of this and yet at the same time have some freedom to evolve it? And I think that that might help us along the way uh, in this uh, development of the, the honoring of our body, you know, like really this relationship with our body, that our body is this beautiful um, organism, you know, this organic energy that's constantly shifting. And we've not really learned to relate to it. We've learned to discipline it to some degree. We've forced it to do certain things. But I think in many ways, the body is uh, is butting up against that. And I, we're seeing this with injuries in the yoga uh, practices. People are getting injured. And it's either because I think the injuries come by two points. One is that the, it's that they're working too hard in the practice, but there's also the people that don't work, they're working too softly in the practice. You know, it's the sort of the middle path here. When you're working too soft, you're really not creating stability in the body. And when you're working too hard, you're not creating enough softness and passivity in the body. So is there a right answer? I don't think so, but I think it's a constant evolution that we're trying to discover that right balance in our body. This is so interesting to me, you know, and, and even how that happens. And, and I think both of those things uh, that you mentioned, you know, um, either maybe pushing too hard or being too soft, both have to do with a disconnect from the actual body, right? Mm-hmm. And so a question that I ask is even, can I feel my whole body, you know, like right. embody my body, you know, I realized that for a long time, I was actually existing from like the neck up in my life. I was just up in my head so much and I wasn't embodying my body. So even that is like a practice. I think it's pretty powerful. No doubt. I mean, well, I think sometimes people are working from the neck down too, you know, which is mm-hmm. this, uh, this body, um, concern, you know, like, Oh, is my body too thin, too wide, too high, too low, uh, too short, too fat, too whatever. And I think we tend to compare ourselves. So I think we get a lot of people that come into the studio here and they say, where are all the mirrors? <laughs> and I say, well, you, mm. you, you don't, you don't want to look at your body externally. You want to look at it from internally. How does it feel? Where are the thoughts and emotions that are bubbling up? You know, where are they stuck inside the body? The rigidity part of the body is where the information is stored there that we need to access like tight hips or tight hamstrings or tight shoulders, tight back muscles. And then when we start to practice with this very deep listening 
I believe what you were just saying, Avi, just really feeling or embodying the practice that for some reason this um, clicks us into that first level that is spoken to about the eight stepped or the eightfold path of yoga. And that is, is that asana, uh, we think of it as maybe the poses, but it's really about um, the listening inside the body. It's going into the body and noticing the body from the inside out. It feels so, so obvious to me when I step back that, that this is what we should be doing. So like a question, like, how did we get to this point where we're not, you know, embodying our bodies, you know, um, I don't know. That's... Well, I think I think it's just what you said. You know, we're either operating from like um, self consciousness, meaning over over worry of our body, or we're thinking from the neck up, which is uh, maybe that's where worry is. But but it's definitely the the thought processes. Our our practices uh, were about stability and uh, some sense of openness. Uh, and it wasn't about whether we could do triangle pose right. It was about feeling triangle or feeling where the body was was tight or where there was a restriction in the body. Because where there was a restriction in the body, there would be a restriction in the breath. And where there was a restriction in the breath, then there would be a restriction in the mind. So it was like a little stepping stones that the teachings show us how how to like where we laid the breadcrumbs out and where we can go back. Uh, when we think about the asana practice, it's very small fragment of a greater picture. This like this idea of even being a, a detective about myself to realize, you know, like what's what's going on. But I, I feel that like often, you know, the ego or the self-conscious part of myself, you know, prevents me from doing that, from really seeing what's going on. Because if I'm concerned about, you know, what others think about me, how I look, then I'm so focused on that. I can't really see what's happening and I can't investigate as opposed to just like disconnecting a little bit and being interested in improvement. And if I'm in interested in that, then I can just, Oh, that's what's, that's what, where I'm feeling some tension. And what was my breath like? And then what is the mind like? Right. And it becomes almost like this and, fun, fun, lighthearted game. But right, the game is a foot, so, right? What was that? <laughs> the game is a foot. The game is a foot. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, like Sherlock Holmes. That you I mean, I say that so often in classes, you know, where are you? Are you are you where are you listening? What bubbles are coming up in the mind? The game is a foot. You know, where where are we in the practice uh when we're practicing? Are we here? Are we here? Uh, are we maybe a stepping outside and observing from an external space uh, as if we were watching somebody else doing these, not in a judgmental way, but in an investigative way? So I love that. Yes. Like yeah. a, a detective story. Wondering like how you feel personally and like how you find the balance between like, you know, wanting to present yourself well, you know, at visually. Right. I mean, I, cause I especially, tend to feel that there's a lot of pressure. I sense that there's a lot of pressure on women, especially to, you know, mm -hmm. present themselves a, a certain way and how they look and emphasizing that, right. There's a lot of like, okay, I need to lose weight. I need to look a certain way, which you mentioned before, as opposed to the priority of simply feeling good. Like, I just want to mm -hmm. feel good. And I trust that if I feel good, like all that external stuff 
is going to take care of itself. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. I yeah. definitely agree. Well, I mean, I think that we just can, we can, I mean, I think in the position as teachers, which I only say is only for an hour or an hour and a half, you put on a teacher hat and then you take that off and you become the student. So you're really the student and for an hour and a half or an hour, you're the teacher. But I think what we, we share as teachers in that time frame is that we want people to slowly come to this on their own. I mean, you could say it over and over, but I think people have to arrive at that place that you're, you're describing, this inward perspective. They have to arrive at it on their own. Uh, you can just only share the teachings, share the practice, and then uh, then be there to support. But I always uh, feel for myself personally as a like, a, like a, a saying that I often share, which is just show up and stay curious, right? Just show up for the practice and then stay curious as you're practicing. Like, where is my knee? Where is my breath? Where are my thoughts? And when we... Uh, when we approach it in that way of just staying curious, then it gives the practitioner of yoga, including ourselves as students, when we step out of that teacher role to apply the same thing, you know, as we're practicing, uh, can we show up and teach the class? Can we show up as students? As people go through teacher training, they're like, I want to be a teacher. I always say what the world needs is more students, <laughs> more teachers. Yes, I guess that could be helpful, but uh, you know, we all need to be practitioners of yoga. And I just feel like even in the arena where I'm at right now, I find that most of the time, even the teachers here, I've over the years have required them, uh, sort of like a sadhana sheet, to sign off on taking at least two classes a month. Uh, you know, supporting the other teachers here. So the practice is the practice. Um, but at any rate, it's, I feel that it's the, the same. I, I, I'm agreeing with you that we have to kind of tread this line of showing up, staying curious within our own body and our own mind. Mm. You, you spoke before about like evolution. Um, and, and we were, I think it was in reference to just how yoga itself is evolving. I'm mm-hmm. curious about you personally, um, you know, your relationship with, with growing and, and, and evolving, right? Because what I find <laughs> is that it's just so easy to stay in the known, right? Like, okay, this is comfortable. It's what I know. I'm going to keep doing it, but right to go out to the, the on the branches is where the fruit is. Um, so for yourself, like, What's your relationship with your own evolution? How do you stay curious? Well, well, showing up will certainly do it for you. But I think evolution actually when you, happens. When, sorry, when you say showing up, <laughs> I just I'm curious about that because I feel like there's that's like there's there's something more there. Like, what do you mean by showing up? Oh, I'm glad you maybe asked because that then spurs me to think more deeply. Well, so there could be different levels of that. It could be uh, showing up, could be that you show up on the mat, right? You know, you make time to practice. Um, Even as a teacher, uh, 
over the years, there's been teachers that, oh, I really want to teach. I really want to teach. And then I say, okay, so you have Thursday afternoons at four o'clock or whatever it is. And then it's like, okay, so this week I'm not feeling well. This week I'm going on vacation. This week, you know, I've got family in town. This week. So then it's like I say, well, you're not really showing up to teach, meaning that I don't need you to be here every single week. So then I had to start putting parameters around even that saying you're only allowed to be gone once a quarter from your classes. So it's, it's, you know, it's tightening the field there. So the idea of showing up is also waking up each morning and I can't do this every single day. So I know that it takes effort is showing up for your family, you know, being present for the family needs, the family organization, showing up to your house or your apartment, like keeping it clean and tidy, uh, showing up for your job. Uh, If you've got a job outside of this, that means having a certain level of enthusiasm or investigation or anything that that keeps you engaged in the process. And then of course the big showing up is life, like waking up each morning and greeting life itself. Uh, I don't think that's easy because I think that the majority of us, we get worn down by the news. We get worn down by uh, the societal pressures. We get worn down by the routine. Uh, We get worn down. Uh, And I think showing up means that we come, we wake up and get centered. And I try to do my mantra meditation followed by a gratitude, very short gratitude meditation. And those can be very helpful in saying, there's something to be grateful for. There's something I feel centered and grateful and then proceeding with the day. And I think that's kind of what I mean, showing up on the meditation cushion, showing up for your pets, your animals, your children. Those kinds of things. Does that make sense? 100%. Thank you for elaborating. Yeah. Yeah. I love this, you know. So you're you're talking about, okay, you're showing up. And so in just, does that just lead to more evolution? Do I not even have to think about it any more than that? Like if I just show up in this genuine way that, that you're talking about, will that I'll just grow naturally. I'll, I'll evolve. Or is there something more to it than that? Well, I think that there's two approaches to that. <laughs> uh, one is a, that, yeah, that's pretty much what, all you have to do. And I think life will come at you. And uh, I think Gurudev used to call it the rubbing and the scrubbing. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the ashram, I think uh, somebody once asked him, you know, will you know, I want to come and live at the ashram. It's so peaceful here. And and Gurudev actually laughed in the audience and said, <laughs> no, uh, you know, it, this may look like a very peaceful place, but there's a lot of rubbing and scrubbing going on here. And that's because you, you can't go, I mean, I guess you could leave the ashram, but if you're genuinely committed to showing up at the ashram, there will be inevitably somebody that will rub you and then scrub you. There will be things that will happen that you're like, I don't like this. Why isn't this done this way? 
why isn't this done that way at the ashram? And the ashram is just this um, benevolent thing. It's just an operation. And for some reason, we go in and we try to make something happen. And then it just causes us more distress. So really just showing up meaning waking up each day, doing what you have to do, you will be evolving, (laughs) you know, just by the rubbing and the scrubbing. But the other way of evolving is actually going out there and actively pursuing, I guess, in many ways, your evolution, which is study. You know, I think you could probably chalk it up to uh, the Kriya Yoga of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, which is Tapasaya, Swadhyaya, and Ishvara Pranadana. So you can apply the idea of acceptance of, you know, is what is coming and then the continued study and then the eventual surrender to that the world is just surrendered to whatever, uh, whatever is at that point. So I think in many ways we can actively choose to sharpen our skill of evolution by becoming more grounded, more centered, more aware, more focused. So we can do different strategies to bring that along. But I think if you don't, that's fine too, because you will still have work to do. And uh, and that's the work of evolution. Evolution is this constant um, revealing of the parts of you that are concealing our true nature. So I, I think that life itself is the evolutionary process. There's nothing on this planet that's not evolving or adapting in some way. That's just the way that nature works. It's the way things are. (laughs) (laughs) As my mom would say, I think who she got from Jerry Seinfeld, which is, it is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask about surrender that you mentioned yeah. how how do you how do you do with that one is that is that a practice that you have just to i mean it's kind of what we're talking about it is what it is just surrendering to what what it is is that helpful for you well i mean uh i think it gives me pause and i think that pause which in the tradition of yoga is called narodaha this pause this gap this space this sort of holding back Uh, allowing us to really examine what is happening and ultimately surrendering to it ultimately is the key word. Uh, I think we have to arrive at that through an evolution of itself. A lot of times our first focus, at least for me, is always resistance, like something's happening. Uh, You know, I don't like it. I'm going to push back. Why is this happening? I don't understand it. But eventually, if I sit in meditation for even an hour or a day or, uh, you know, a week later, I will find that that process, uh, which is, yeah, I would call that evolutionary process, allows me to eventually ultimately arrive at it is what it is. Now, what did you learn from that? You know, how did you grow from that experience or that altercation or that relationship or that difficulty? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying it's fun. But I think <laughs> it is what it is, right? <laughs> 
you know, you're not, you know, greeting this with like, oh, thank you, God, for bringing this to me. At first, you're kind of cursing God. And then you're, you know, you know, it's going through this, I guess, the stages of grief or something. You eventually arrive at, oh, wow. And uh, I remember a difficult uh, time in my own life where it took about a year for me to sort through the emotional uh, ramifications of of something. You know, I, I have sat with it and sat with it and turned it over in my head and got quiet around it and got turned around in my head about it. And then eventually, you know, in a, in a place of almost spontaneity, like a spontaneous moment, like it, like something opened right in front of me that said, this is why this happened. And I was like, Oh, wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. Wow, it took me it took me a year of pain and suffering, but brilliant strategy, brilliant drama. That should go onto Netflix right, right away. <laughs> Somebody should produce a movie about all of that processing, right? So yeah. Have you found that that it that you've been practicing and you kind of can move into the realm of acceptance maybe a little bit more quickly if you Absolutely. keep practicing? Yeah. Absolutely. It is one of the great benefits of the practice of self-awareness, uh, not self-consciousness, but self-awareness. Like, and, and once again, different times or different situations call for different processes. Um, I like the way the Bhagavad Gita mentions often this idea of navigating. You know, we're navigating life in some way. There's not like, okay, when this happens, you do this. Nope, it's not like that. Uh, to really listen uh, to the voice of wisdom within ourselves, it requires navigation, which means that the same situation, but you may have to apply a different strategy altogether to process and work through it. But um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Do you see it as art, this thing that we're doing in life? Is it, are we making art? Could it be seen that way? I like that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, I think that there's been a number of different analogies uh, from the Native American tradition. I think that, and of course, I'm paraphrasing on the story and probably might mix the story up a little bit, but there is this idea of that life looks a certain way. Like we look at it like a rug, I think is the Native American strategy is you flip over a rug and these threads are all over the place and it looks quite chaotic. And they say, this is how our mind looks at our life. And then you flip over the rug to the beautiful sort of shape patterns on the rug uh, where you don't see all the confusion of threads. And they say that the upside of the rug is how God sees our life. So we see it as a tangled mess, and maybe the divine sees it as a beautiful masterpiece, something like that. So many of these things that you're saying, like I, the word relax just kind of comes to me. It's just like, just to relax about it. Is that, is that so key to just, you know, just, just, just relax into this whole experience of life thing? Yeah, I think the word that I use, which is similar, is ease. Right. I think Swami Satchidananda says 
be easeful in the body, peaceful in the mind, and then you can be useful. So I, I like ease because relax uh, indicates, at least from my perspective, uh, a sense of like you're chilling, you know, you're like, I'm so relaxed, right, you know, right. you're just, you're just laid, you know, you're laying back and you're sleeping in a hammock. And ease indicates to me, uh, uh, an ease means that you feel comfortable in your own skin. So I feel like there's a, maybe it's just a semantic, but um, no, I appreciate so that distinction. I, yeah. 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 I think, I well, think, I, I think I you're think, right on. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, when I was saying, uh, when I teach sometimes, uh, people usually say something like, oh, meditation, you know, it's so relaxing. And I'll usually say, meditation is not relaxing. (laughs) Meditation is a concerted effort towards steadying your mind. But the underside of that is so that we can be easeful. Because I think our nature, as Patanjali puts it in the Yoga Sutras, that our nature, our human nature is restless. The mind is restless. So our body and mind by its very nature is turbulent. It's fluctuating because it's part of Prakriti or the world that we see. So it's very hard to say, oh, you're in the body of unease and you're in the mind of unease. But if we can say that at the root of all of that is a state of ease, and then when you're out in the world, you feel comfortable more in your skin. And I'm not saying that that's an easy thing. In fact, that's actually quite difficult. Um, Whenever I go to a function where I don't know anybody, I feel my unease exacerbated. You know, I feel like uncertain of myself. I'm standing there and I don't know anybody. And I'm, I, I used to not be able to understand that unease. And so what I would do is I would look around in my state of unease and I would think I need to find unconsciously, I need to find something that will relax me. So my tendency in my youth was to go for a drink because alcohol takes those inhibitions down. It takes that energy of uncertainty and unease down. But then if you're relying on a substance to bring you ease, then you're really not at ease. It's a pseudo ease. And it's not that alcohol, um, from my perspective, is wrong or bad. It's just that it's the intention behind it. If the intention for drinking is to find ease, then eventually you won't be able to live without the alcohol as it begins to create an association within the mind. So ease is a place of where if we know our unease, then we can find different strategies that are more beneficial to reveal our inner ease. And so those could be nice. I I found that rather than drinking, that I could just relax and be in in a place of breathing deeply and even noticing the unease is mostly coming from the ego that you mentioned earlier. You know, the, the ego is uneased at, in a state of unease, but maybe beneath that, I'm not uneaseful at all, just my mind, body, and my ego. So it, those kinds of terminologies can be helpful to understand. Yeah, what's occurring to me now is that maybe like the, where the ease 
lays is within the unease. I to like be with the unease to go into the unease. Oh, now I'm experiencing a new kind of ease that maybe I never have before because like, like you said, I kind of ran away from the unease because it was uncomfortable. Well, I think that there's, this is called awareness, right? We can only be aware of what we become aware of when we become aware of it. (laughs) So it's a sort of a, you know, a, a mind twister that says you can only be aware of what you become aware of when you become aware of it. So unease, it's easy sometimes to say instead of saying, oh, I have to find ease. One of the great strategies is to notice when you're not at ease. You know, when you're feeling uneaseful, that's much more recognizable than a, even a sense of like, I think I feel at ease. Oh, when you're uneaseful, you know it. Sometimes we get all the symptoms of unease. We feel either depressed or anxious or uh, as Patanjali says, we might get a trembling in the body or a dysfunction in the breathing. And those can be just as much of a clue uh, for that to unravel so we can find our ease. So we notice the unease or we notice that we're not flexible. And then we say, how can I find flexibility? Oh, wow, my hamstrings are really tight and that's pulling on my lower back. I know that pain is that great teacher uh, that tells us something's not right. Yeah. It seems that there's a choice there when I'm experiencing the pain. You know, can I be upset or agitated that like feel like I, you know, I'm doing something wrong because I feel pain. That's that's kind of self-judgmental, it feels like. To mm. me. Or just, okay, the pain exists here. Um, what, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. Right. And I would say that that's the thing that we surrender to. Uh, you know, there's uh, the old adage, not old, actually, I think it's relatively new, is, you know, let it go. Just let it go. <laughs> and it was like, uh, how do you do that? How do you just let it go? If anyone's had like a sleepless night where you're uh, having an internal conversation, like I said, and then she said, and then I said, and then she said, you know, it's back and forth. You're replaying out something. The idea of letting that go just feels so impossible. But here's the strategy is let it be. Just Can you just let it be? Can you go, okay, I'm having an internal dialogue and I'm feeling it's causing me great stress. And then you can say, okay, I can continue to have this conversation within myself, this internal battle. It's not going to really change anything. It's not going to solve anything, but I'll just let it play out until my mind just gets exhausted and or I don't get any sleep that night. And then I have to wake up and function all day. Then the next night, maybe I can just let it all be and let it not it's not that it doesn't disturb you, but it doesn't need to affect us. So that's the key is the affecting part. Um, so, yeah. I think I that you- potentially gives us this sort of um, uh, this viragium, you know, and we sometimes think of it as um, a way to, in many ways, accept Uh, You know, we don't attach ourselves to something. And this is really what letting it be. 
kind of sim- uh, symbolizes in many ways this idea that we can just let something be, and that's a form of non-attachment in and of itself. Don't you agree? Totally. Totally. I feel like that's like, mm. it's almost like a refuge for me now more and more, you know, it's just whatever the discomfort or the pain comes, just, can I just let it be without analyzing it, without interpreting it, just simply letting it be. It's, it's really having a beautiful effect on my life. There's no question about it. Yeah. Well, and some days you're going to find, I find for myself is that it's, it can be very difficult and that becomes a process in of itself. And we just stay aware on the ride, on the roller coaster ride of our mind. Like we're just stepping back and saying, wow, I'm really overanalyzing this or wow, this really frustrates me. And uh, the way I'm responding frustrates me. And it's, it's, I'm kind of caught in a trap. I tell you, uh, a few years back, I had this whole experience of something. Um, I mean, it wasn't like traumatic, although I'm being overly dramatic about it. There was some trauma involved, but I felt like I had lost some joy in my life. And I felt like I'd become this person that was, I don't know, apathetic or maybe just kind of maybe possibly on a little bit of a depressive level. And then, but the key for me was, is that I could see myself in that and it's, and also be saying to myself, may I find joy. Uh, May I be open to joy. May this joy return back to my life. And I think that that was more helpful than uh, going, oh, I'm so depressed or allowing it to either overtake me or to create some pseudo aspect of like, oh, I'm going to do this to make myself more joyful. I'm going to turn my life upside down or go find some joy or run away to find joy. It was more of like, no, I'm just going to be aware of when I'm feeling this sort of lack of joy and to know that somewhere deep inside me, some part of me is going, this is so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) to be in a state of like no joy this is equally as exciting as being in joy so I just rode the process of it and it and it felt okay it felt okay to be okay as long as I could stay consciously aware that of that state it didn't I didn't need to change it I didn't need to go running out and find something different I could just be okay with that, knowing that that the part of me that's experiencing me was having an equal amount of joy, being in joy and out of joy. Does that make sense? That's good stuff. I feel like that's a, a high level. Gosh. Yeah. I wish for everyone to be able to experience that. Yeah. Well, I mean... I don't know if they'd want to do that, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's life. It's just part of Mm. life. And I just got to a place where I just got tired of trying to be holy. And I got Mm. tired of trying to be unholy, but somehow or another, I could ride the wave of, I could, at times I can be holy. And at times I can be completely like debauchery. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Was this the freedom to be? 
Right, exactly. It's the liberation. I mean, that's what liberation is. It's just, okay, I'm just going to be me in whatever form that takes. I mean, what what I tend to, to think about a lot is that I think we fluctuate a lot more than maybe we want to you know, admit, but fluctuation is just the way of, of, of life. So it's like, you know, we slap ourselves with labels, like, you know, like I am depressed or I'm this sort of person, whatever it is. But the truth is like, you get me in the morning, you get me in the evening, you might get something different. You get me before I eat, after I eat, like, there's so many factors going on. It's like, I, I really feel that like we're fluctuating a lot more than maybe we, we like to think. Uh, well, I mean, this is, this is the world. This is the gunas, right? Uh, the teachings of the gunas are that there are some days when you're feeling a little dense and there's days when you're feeling a little bit erratic and there's days when you feel very sattvic and very kind of balanced. And the key is to ride the wave, right? This is what Swami Satchitananda taught, right? So we ride the wave, so we got to learn how to surf. Yeah, we have to surf these waves. And I feel like uh, in the yoga community, we do ourselves a huge injustice by feeling that we are up here above everybody. And then we then we have to create two false personas. We have to create this sort of like, I got my life all figured out. And I'd rather say, I don't have anything figured out. I mean, I have some things that are working for me. And if they work for you, great. If they don't, I think you should keep searching, you know? Uh, we're all just, we're all on different waves and you're right. You know, you catch me in the morning or you catch me in the evening, you might get two different Tracy Sahajas and, um, uh, you know, depending on what's happening in my own world. And I think having that freedom, that moksha, that liberation to do that, to live life and not just present yourself in life. Like I'm this or that. I think this is very healthy for us in the yoga community. Yeah. It goes back to that internal external, um, you know, conversation that we were having. It's like, can I just trust that if I feel good on the inside, you know, that's, that's going to have the most positive effect on, on, on my environment. Right. Not like trying to figure it out up in my head. Like if I act like this, then other people are going to see me like this. And, that's to me, that's too complicated. Just, just keep it simple. Keep it with the feelings. Like, you know, my goal is to feel good and that's it. I just want to feel good. Right. And then some days you won't feel good and then being okay with that too, but being aware that you're not feeling good, meaning that can you, you can, you can feel bad and still be at ease, right? You can feel bad. You can be sick or you can uh, have some kind of drama or trauma going on in one's life and still be at ease. Now that I think would be the, the true state of equanimity. That would be a place of where we could genuinely be easeful in our body and peaceful in our mind that we just ride the wave and that we feel good even when we're not feeling good, or we can be at ease even when we're not feeling good. You're like, wow, I don't feel so great, but I'm okay. It's not like I'm, I'm not overly anxious or depressed about it. I just, I, I'm accept it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I am what I am too. And like, I think that the other aspect is, is like respecting nature. You know, like we, I feel that I am a creation of, 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 of nature. Um, so, 
therefore in a way, like, I feel like I have like a duty to like, love this aspect of nature, both myself and everything that I'm, I'm, I'm connected to. And, and so, you know, when I'm not feeling good, you know, well, that's, that negative feeling is still a part of nature. You know, it's all a part of nature. Um, so it, it's okay. You know, and as soon as I make it okay, I think then it, it loosens its grip, you know, a little bit, but if it, it, when I'm making it, Oh, it's not okay. I'm judging myself. It's like, Oh man, there's just, there's that's so there. perfect. That's a, that's a beautiful, I love that. Avi. I just think that that's so, that's so crystal clear. Um, and, and it's a great way I feel to, uh, for those in the yoga community to aspire to, right? And then, then people, I think, well, people will still judge, you know, they'll still judge you for, <laughs> for not being what you, you said you were going to try to be. Or and that's okay too, because that judgment is also a part of nature. You know, it's like making anything like bad, like, you know, the, the way I see it is like, it, it encompasses it all. It encompasses it all. So it's just like, right. It is what it is. That's, that's the whole thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this time. I appreciate you and, and what you're doing. I feel your energy and um, it's really comforting. Yeah. To be, to be talking to you. Yeah. Well, it's my pleasure, Avi. It's been fun. I hope this conversation serves on some level and then, um, you know, yeah. And then it can, it can be good for the soul and good for the sort of the body and the mind. Right. Mm, that's my hope for sure. Um, <laughs> so Haja, if, if people would like to find out more about you or the programs that you offer, what's, what's the best way for someone to do that? Oh, well, the, the studio that I direct is called Holy Cow Yoga Center, and uh, they can Google that and they can, they can find me or whatever we're offering here at the studio through that way. Yeah, we have a number of great teachers here, and I feel so privileged uh, to be a part of a greater community. Um, so even though the studio, in many ways, I'm ultimately, I call myself the caretaker, uh, because I make sure the lights are on and, you know, certain aspects of the studio to run. It is a communal effort and, uh, I'm blessed to be surrounded by, uh, spiritually, spiritually evolving people, <laughs> mm. spiritually evolving souls. Yep. And so we're, we're all rowing the boat together. And uh, you feel so, like you have a, a community, a little sangha there. Um, yeah, I think to some degree, obviously my true sangha is Yogaville. And uh, even though I don't, necessarily know everybody up there and times have changed and people come and they go it's it's it feels like home uh it it feels like a space uh that feels like i come i go there and i feel grounded and repurposed and connected to something greater than even the people there um so uh, but here I do have a wonderful group of people. Many of the teachers have been uh, teaching here at the studio for 15 years or more. And so it feels like a long-term really 
long-term relationships, (laughs) 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 which has its good qualities and it has its brother, sister, family and dynamic. (laughs) So anyway, Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.